Good morning, everybody. How are you? So we're going to mix things up a little bit. Hey, if I'm giving you a sign, uh, I'm sorry I didn't ask for permission in, in advance, so uh, give me some grace. But uh, everyone uh, of you, actually, except for Olivia, y'all go ahead and stand over there for me. Appreciate it. Okay. Olivia, you can go ahead and get up. You can stand right there. <coughs> Gentlemen, you, you join her. Here, here you go. Uh, you're new. I won't give it to you. I'm sorry. Come on. Come on. I'll try not to call the new guy out. This is what it's like in student ministry, everybody. I'm just kidding. So, uh, now, gentlemen, y'all over there, stand with the ladies. I know you're not used to that. I hear you. Uh, if you ever go to a student ministry room, it's so funny. You don't have to tell the kids anything. It's just like the guys sit on one side, the girls sit on the other. It's like, guys, don't you like girls? Like, I don't. Anyway, that's, you know, beside the point. How many of you like movies? Raise your hand if you like movies. I love movies. I, I, I just, I love movies. It's, it's one of those uh, things that some people like reading a good book. And just kind of getting lost in the book. And I go, that's too much work. If I'm going to read, I want to learn something. I don't want to use my imagination. I want to watch a movie. One of the movies that I love, or I guess the series of movies that I love, is the Marvel movies. The Marvel comics, the you know, whatever. And one of them specifically is the Avengers. And if you got your signs, go ahead and hold them up really, really, really high. And so the very first Avenger movie has these seven characters in them. And they are very powerful. You have Captain America, Hawkeye, Nick Fury, who just pretty much yells, Iron Man, Thor, Black Widow, and Hulk, and they are just a, a, a very strong force. And individually, they are a group, uh, 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 or excuse me, they are individually very strong. But at the end of the movie, they come together, and they are unstoppable, in a sense. But there's, there's this one character in the movie named Loki. Poor Olivia. Loki. And Loki's whole job in the first Avengers movie, if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, it's like eight years old anyway, so you can't get mad at me and send me an email, but Loki's whole job in this movie, so he's trying to take over the world and, and rule just like every other bad guy, but the way he does this is he wants to come over here, come follow with me, and he wants to divide them. So what I want you to do is y'all spread out a little bit, and I want you to kind of weave and take a step forward so she doesn't fall. I want you to kind of weave in and out like this, and just keep doing it the whole time I talk, right? Yeah. Not the whole sermon, I won't make you do that, but you're just going to, you're going to keep, uh, you're going to keep weaving, and so what Loki tries to do is he's trying to divide these Avengers, and he's trying to get at them and divide them, and just keep going, it's like a, yeah, an infinity thing, you just keep it, keep it moving, and his whole job is to split them up, because individually they're extremely strong, but together they are unstoppable. I mean, it's impossible to beat them, essentially. And what Loki knows this, he goes into the battle with a plan of, I'm going to divide, I'm going to kill, and I'm going to conquer. And this is exactly how he plans to do it. If you read your Bible, you should understand who Loki is in the biblical sense. This is exactly what Satan does to the church, or I should say what Satan looks to do to the church, is he looks to divide, to steal, to kill, and destroy, because he knows that when we are unified, we're unstoppable in the name of Jesus. Students, y'all can have a seat. Give them a round of applause. You can, you can keep your posters. We're going to be in a, Ephesians chapter 4 today, Ephesians chapter 4. But what I want us to remember is that point throughout this whole time this morning is the point that united, the Avengers were unstoppable. And Loki understood that. And so what he tried to do 
is he tried to divide them, to split them, to get rid of their strengths collectively and attack them individually. And this is what we're going to see today. If you're wondering what we're talking about in our sermon series, it's called Us Versus Them. And for the past several weeks, we've been discussing this idea that somewhere, somewhere along the lines, the church has kind of established this us versus them mentality. And it's really not a healthy thing. Certainly in Scripture, we are set apart. We are a royal priesthood. We are chosen, adopted, redeemed in the blood of Christ. But nowhere in Scripture does God tell us to kind of live with a sense of puffed upness, as a matter of fact, that you can see that kind of word throughout scriptures a couple times. He, he tells us to live with humility, to, to love people, regardless of how those people will see us. And so last week, I challenged you as a church, I challenged all of us to begin to change our view of everyone else around us, to begin to see that it's not just them. It's not a, they're not the bad person and we're the good people. We are people. We are made in the image of God. And because of that image, all of us have a, have a mark put on us by the Lord. And every single one of us has value. And so what we need to do as the church is begin to pray. Begin to pray for our hearts that our hearts would be softened, that our hearts would be changed, that we would begin to see all people, no matter the color, no matter the political alignment, no matter the, the disagreement that we have on social platforms, whatever it is, all people are made in the image of God. And the second thing I called you to pray for is to pray for those people in your life who don't know the Lord, who don't have a relationship with Him. Because I, I believe somewhere in this us versus them mentality, the reason it was created was because we kind of stopped caring. We kind of got into this place where this gathering became the important thing. And if you'll think back to week one of this series, we compared a Pepsi and a Coke, and we said, really all people are just these empty Pepsi bottles. And what God does through His Spirit when we repent and put our faith in Him is that He fills our broken Pepsi bottle with this good thing called Coke. <laughs> and he gives us a new spirit, a new life, and we can walk in the newness of Jesus. And I, I, I was, over the past couple of days, I, I found out about two guys who have been uh, prominent figures in the, the Christian world. You may have heard of them. These guys' their names are Rhett and Link. They are very famous uh, Christian comedians. They've had a podcast for several years, and, and, and much of what they have done has kind of been on that line of us versus them, and it's been, in many ways, it's been very beneficial to the church. But recently, these two gentlemen have come out, and they have denounced their faith in Jesus. They have, they have said, we, we no longer believe in Jesus. And what I want you to know about these, these two men is that they were actually missionaries at one point. They, they grew up in the church. They they're very educated, they're very uh, intelligent men, and over the past 10 to 15 years, they began to question God, and they began to question some things, and a lot of it was at the feet of this us versus them mentality, meaning they began to certainly look at the, 
science's argument and the historical argument, and that kind of puts some, some question flags for them, or some red flags, I should say. But really what kind of hit them even deeper was they began to look at the church and see how the church valued and treated people, and they did not see a God who loved people in the church. And, and, and let me say, to a certain degree, I understand where they're coming from. I understand that when you look at the church as a whole, we don't always give off this big picture of love. And, and I was deeply saddened and, and bothered by these two guys. You've seen it over and over again in the past couple of years. Pastors have denounced their faith. And there's all kinds of different reasons, and, and I, I'm not going to get into that today, but I, I read an, an, an article by a blogger. Her name was Elisa Childress. And, and she said this, Could it be that the cultural influences driving these deconstruction stories needs to be reexamined rather than Christianity itself? And, and what I think that means, and what I think she's trying to say in her point, is that the world around us is ever-changing, and it's beginning to put pressures on Christians. And what Christians are finding themselves doing is rather than questioning why am I being oppressed or is this oppression you know, founded in anything that's truth, they turn their, their eyes to their faith and Satan uses that opportunity to divide them from the church, to divide them from loved ones. And he uses that opportunity to, in their words, enlighten them. And what I would say that he is doing in those opportunities, he's using that moment to close their eyes. Because all that they're having in that moment is conversations of, ah, the church is a bunch of hypocrites, which they're not wrong. Pretty much all people, to a certain degree, are hypocrites. None of us are perfect. And that's a tough place to live, but it goes back to this us versus them thing. See, the world sees that the Christian, that the church, has somewhere taken a, taken a stance of perfection, and that couldn't be further from the truth, because I'm not perfect, and neither are you. What we've taken a, taken a stance in is that Jesus is perfect, and because of his perfection, we can be reunited with the Father if we just submit to Him. If we find that the truth that we aren't perfect and He is perfect, then maybe all of the world can be redeemed if we would do that. If we would humble ourselves and put ourselves before Jesus. So we're going to be in Ephesians 4 today, and I want us to look at unity. I want us to look at a point that would, in my opinion, in Scripture, shatter Satan's plans of devouring the church, of weakening God's people, and for us to be unified. Ephesians chapter 4. The book of Ephesians was written by Paul. He was an apostle of Jesus. His name was originally Saul, and he, became, he came to know the Christ, uh, Christ 
through an interaction on the road to Damascus. He wrote this letter in jail in Rome to the church in Ephesus, which is in Greece. He approximately wrote this letter uh, A.D. 60, 62, somewhere in there. This is approximately anywhere from 20 to 30 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And his letter to this church is uh, certainly a universal letter. It, it applies to all of us. But in this letter, he, sp- he is specifically targeting this idea of unity, and he's attacking it from a perspective of we should be unified in Christ. As a matter of fact, in this letter, Paul says the phrase in Christ about 10 to 15 times. And it's a very important thing for us to understand that he is talking to the church, those who are in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And this is at the center of our us versus them dilemma. To walk in the way in which you were called, church, is at the very center of the us versus them mentality. Piety is respected among most people. I I would say the, the majority of the world, to a certain degree, still holds a general respect for people of faith. Certainly there are outliers and there are groups that do not but as a whole the world still has somewhat of a respect to religious eh, spiritual people even amongst all of the moral decay that the church and other religions have endured they've seen pastors and and priests over the over the years uh, fall from their ivory towers and yet they still somehow respect the church. Oftentimes they respect the church and the religion probably just out of a sense of history. But there's, there's an aspect to this respect that they begin to look at us and they go, okay, at what point is respect no longer a valid term in which we would use for the church? As they look on to these people and they begin to let's use the Christian faith, and begin to look at Christians. And Christians kind of live in this bubble, according to the the them. And Christians live in this place where we are holy and we're set apart and you need to repent. Uh, and Because when we're telling someone else to repent, how often do we go, I, I need to repent too. That's just not where we often live. And, and it breaks this relationship that we have with people in the world because they see this pious Christian boss at work who gets caught stealing, taking money. Or the Bible thumper in the break room who gets a little loose-lipped at times and they begin to speak ill of another. Or that perfect Christian couple who you hear that they had an affair and then divorce and then thing on top of thing on top of thing. And all of these, for them, begin to be arguments against 
the church. As opposed to, in many senses, what it really is, is fallen people making mistakes. Yes, we are redeemed by Jesus, but you will still make mistakes and I will still make mistakes. These are things that the world around us apparently cannot handle because of the apparent hypocrisy. Another cause of dissenting opinion uh, among people in the world would be that when our views and our ethics and our morals and all our values begin to get in the way of their freedom, when the woman no longer has the right to choose, people will question the ethics and morals of those who believe in God. And, and they might say something like this, are they once again, is the church once again suppressing women? That's an argument that Rhett and Link made, that the church did not treat women or the LGBTQ community with respect. And then the world sees this, when the Christian stands against abortion, but yet that same Christian will stand for capital punishment. And these are things that the world can't understand. And what's important for us to remember in our lives is that the walk of the believer is what the world sees of our God. See, the world does not necessarily see the theological views that you hold in your life. What the world sees is your views, your actions, your walk is the direct representation of your God to them. How you live your life is how they see your God. Gandhi said this, he said, I love your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Gandhi is referring to how we as Christians treat people in this case. And he's saying, look, your Jesus treated people very well. Your Christians do not. Now, I don't want to get into how much Gandhi really knew Jesus, because I would say likely he didn't know Jesus very well, because to know God is to love God. But Gandhi would go on to say this, Christianity offered nothing I could not get from my own religion. Observing to be a good Hindu also meant that I would be a good Christian. There is no need for me to join your creed, to be a believer in the beauty of the teachings of Jesus, or even to try to follow his example. Frankly, this is likely a result of some bad teachings, or maybe some misinterpretations that he heard from missionaries and the church, Many believe in our world that the Bible is a good code of ethics or morals. Matter of fact, I've had conversations with pastors who would say, man, I'm teaching in this school, I'm teaching some sort of platform, and I'm teaching the Beatitudes, and I'm just really excited to be, to be in this school teaching the Beatitudes because the Beatitudes are a good moral and ethical system. And, and I'm not going to completely disagree with them, but what I would say is, the Christian faith is not a faith where you can hold the morals and ethics that we would say that we stand on and separate them from the God we believe in. 
It's just not possible. I understand that the Beatitudes are good teachings. I understand that there are great things that we can all learn from them. But if we do not put that into the person and the work of Jesus, we will not have a complete understanding of what it is to have biblical morals and biblical ethics. Because all aspects of those things run back to God. Matthew 22, beginning in verse 37, says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Everything that we see in the world, every view that we take, every stance that we have, comes from those two things, is what Jesus is saying. You, you can whittle it all down. He's talking to this person about the laws in the Old Testament. He says, you can whittle it all down to two things. Love God, love people. And if you take out love God and love people, you say, well, the world loves. And and I would say if you read through Scripture, specifically 1 John, you may determine that the word that they use for love is not the exact same love that God is talking about in this place. See, it's one thing to say the word love. It's kind of like that sweet 16 crush. Oh, I love you. You know, you put on Instagram story, I love you. That's a very different love, hopefully, than what you'd see from a, a couple that was married for 30 years. He says, I love you. That's a very different love. One love doesn't really understand the other person or probably even themselves. The other would have a complete and total understanding of who they are and, Lord willing, a, a very good, solid understanding of the other person. They knew what they were getting into. They, they, when they said, I love you, There's a better understanding of what it means to love that person, of what it means to love themselves. It is important, church, that we understand what we believe. Our walk will be directed by our beliefs. So, if what the world sees of our God is really determined by our walk. Wouldn't our walk be important? Or wouldn't it be important for us in our walk to know what we're walking to and why we're walking and how we're walking? I would say yes. What we believe is very important. I was listening to one of my professors at Midwestern Theological Seminary, and he gave a speech this past week, and he was talking about the differences in the world that we're raising pastors in today. And he said, you know, 30 years ago, as a professor of admissions, or excuse me, the dean of admissions, you would have a very common baseline for all seminary professors. These are, these are men, oftentimes, sometimes women, being trained to go take the gospel around the world. They have, they have made the decision to make this their life calling, And so they leave their undergrad, or they graduate, excuse me, and then they go to seminary to then be catapult into ministry. And and what this professor was saying is that 30 years ago, there was a pretty baseline, uh, a commonality of what everyone believed. You didn't have to kind of question or differentiate. Certainly there were different denominations, and so you would go to the denominational seminary that 
probably closely aligned with your theological views, but he said today what you're finding more and more and more is that these seminary students, these new students enrolling, what's actually happening is the baseline is all over the place. Because what one came in believing was X, the other one came in believing very close to X, but on one pivotal issue they'd be very different. Whichever way you want to look at that, up or down. And so what the professors are talking about is they're saying, we all of a sudden no longer have an even baseline, so we're having to train these leaders and these pastors in the ways in which to walk as a pastor, and we're having to get into some of the finite issues, issues that were not issues 30 years ago. What they're discussing is that the doctrinal issues of these pastors and leaders are vastly different. In some senses, that's why the non-denominational church was created years ago, so that we could just focus on the things of Jesus. And focusing on Jesus is very important. It's also important to have doctrinal beliefs because those things will push you and guide you to a place of a better understanding of who God is. And so if the world sees Jesus through our actions, church, Shouldn't our actions be very intentional? Shouldn't the way we speak, the way we love, the way we show ourselves to each other and to the world be very intentional? Shouldn't it be grounded in our beliefs? Paul, when writing this letter, he's in jail. And if you know anything about Paul's writing, he would start like here. And his destination was here, but oftentimes he would go like this kind of backwards and over here, and then he'd finally land here. And so we read the first three verses, and not that the next seven or eight or so were not important. They're just not applicable to necessarily what we're talking about this morning. So skip down to verse 11. So Paul, still talking about walking in the manner in which you were called, says this in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints, for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. John Piper says this about the first couple of verses of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. He says this, The apostles are the authoritative foundational witnesses to the truth. The prophets are the charismatic speakers of truth that apply it with supernaturally guided pointedness. The evangelists who do the work of evangelism with the truth of the gospel in regions where apostles have planted the churches. The pastors and teachers who take the truth and use it to feed and protect the flock of God. Every one of these officers offices, excuse me, centers on the truth of God and Christ and the gospel. 
These people are truth agents. I wanted to read that so that you would understand when you, what's, well, what's a prophet? What's an, an evangelist? What's an apostle? He gives, Jesus gives the church gifts and callings to build up the body of Christ. Give us, not only He is our foundation, but then off of the foundation, we then are built up by the gifts that He gives us in our leaders. Well, the question is, what are we building? What is the purpose of Paul telling this church in Ephesus and us today to be built up by these different people standing on the Word of God? We are building a united body. A united body of Christ. For the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to what? To mature manhood or womanhood. To, to grow up. Some people ask, well, what is, mature, what is maturity in Scripture? It's, it's a Greek word in the New, Test, New Testament. It says telioi, and it literally means to, to grow up. It's spoken about different times of get off of the milk and get to the meat. Like, everything that's healthy, what does it do? It grows. As much as we all... If parents in the room, if you can remember, and some of you might still be in that stage, holding your baby, there were thoughts go, never grow up. If the baby never grew up, there would be something wrong. Like, we, we, it would not be a good thing. But I understand the sentiment. I, I, I thought it. But we need it to grow. We, we want the child to grow. Christ want his, wants His church to grow. To mature faith. The measure of the stature of the fullness so that we may be no longer children. Why? So that we won't be tossed to and fro. What's the importance of growing up in maturity so that we won't be tossed around? God wants us to know what we believe. To have a firm foundation on Him. It's, it's stories throughout Scripture. Jesus gives parables about this. To have a firm foundation built on the person in the work of Jesus, but then to what? to grow up in stature, having a house on solid ground, to know what you believe and why you believe it, this will direct your walk. Why is it important that we have our walk directed and that it's firmly planted in Jesus and then built up by doctrine and theological truths? So we won't be tossed around by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Meaning when false teaching comes, you'll know. You'll know that it's false. You'll know that uh, maybe not all people get to heaven. Like when you hear that teaching that everyone goes to heaven, you'll go, does Scripture say that? Or by this, by, by human cunning. Think about the time in which Paul is writing this letter. Philosophy is abound around him. And people are, are being very wise with their, their language. And people are questioning, am I even a, a thing? What, what, what is life? And, all the, and then later, you, you have the age of enlightenment. And people are going, I am a thinking thing. And you're going, no crap. Like, seriously? Yes. Like, come on now. But don't be moved aside by human, coming, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Don't let Loki... Satan, sneak in to your family. 
and begin to pick apart each of you? How do we stand and walk together? What's the purpose of our building? Christ says the purpose is so that we will work together. We will be equipped. And when we are equipped, the whole body will be joined and held together by every joint. You know what that means? I need you in my life. I don't need you to just sit in a seat. That's not what Jesus tells us to do. Hey, come and just sit in a seat. I need you in my life. Well, I don't have as much to bring to the table. Yes, you do. God's given you a story. He's given you a testimony. And through the word of his power, you will be brought up in the maturation of Jesus. Many of you have stories and have things to teach me. I am not better than any of you, nor you better than me. We collectively are the church. And God says that if we will be unified and we will stand together, we are an unstoppable force in the name of him. In order for us to begin to show love to the world, to begin to have dignity and uh, keep the other person's dignity, I, sh- I should say, in a conversation where people disagree with us, when we're standing on creationist views against a world, as it seems at times, that's standing as a macro-evolutionist view, what we need to have is each other. Not for just the blind fact of having each other. We need to study the science. We need to study God's Word. We need to have conversations with each other so that when we have interactions with the them, we can do it in love and we can do it being fully ready for the conversation. Rhett and Link discussed the weightiness of this decision that they were making. And they, they can remember having a friend who was essentially doing the same thing about seven or eight years earlier. And one of their key questions to that person was, well, what are you going to teach your kids? And, and I heard that, and, and I completely get it. I completely understand what, what they're saying. But I was, I was saddened. That their first thought as Christians wasn't for someone's direct soul, this friend of theirs. It was just, what are you going to culturally kind of teach your kids? And I go, at what point these men or, or, or maybe others in the world have a connection with the church and they began to see the dark side of the church? And they began to see some of these broken things. At what point was the unity of the church broken in their life? See, the us versus them mentality is shattered when the us, the church, stands together, united, and embodies love. Love doesn't mean always accepting. Love doesn't mean turning the cheek. But it means in speech to have the other person's best interest in mind. It means in action to act as if Jesus was acting. It means to sacrifice. It means to stand and to love, to speak 
truth when you have the opportunity to speak truth. How many of us have spoken truth not in love? Just trying to win the argument. Just trying to show the other what their argument was lacking or what their stance was, why their stance was wrong. The us versus them mentality can be crushed. And Satan can be crushed when we as a church stand on God's word and unite together. How do you unite? In closing. I sat in a community group this morning for just a few moments. And one of the things that encouraged me about their group is not only, you know, are they studying the word, but they're investing into each other's lives. We had another community group yesterday. Meets every week. They went out. They just had fun with each other. I think they ate H&H and did the Almond Brother thing on, on leap, leap Your Day or something like that. My community group meets every other Friday night. We, we met last Friday night, and I'm, I'm like a super structured guy, so I'm kind of like, all right, guys, we're going to meet from like 6 to 8. You know, 8.15 is the latest. We'll be done. 10.45, we were done. And the cool thing about that was is we were done discussing at like 8.30. I was like, hey, guys, if you, if you want to go, I get it. I totally get it. And we sat around the couch and just talked about life, talked about all kinds of things for the next couple hours. And some of you have friends you can do the same thing with. You sit around and you, and you talk. And, and my question to you, to all of us, would be, how are you being intentional in uniting with the body of Christ? Not just having friends that are Christian. That's important. But see, uniting with the body of Christ is more than coming and sitting in a seat. It's more than giving online. It's more than having your quiet time by yourself. It's this thing where we together as the church say, we know that Satan's attempts are to get us on an island. We know that. He's shown it time and time again throughout Scripture. And so our combative nature, our defense, our weapon is to unite together under the banner of Jesus Christ. We're going to ask the tough questions. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to mature together. We're going to cry together because when life hurts, life hurts. We're going to be there as a body united under Jesus Christ. When that happens, and I'm not going to say that we're not going to mess up. We will mess up. There will be things that we we break. We just We brutally mess them up. It just happens. But when we begin to have relationships with people outside of the world, or outside of our little us group, the them may look at us and go, they got a lot of flaws, but man, do they love each other. But man, do they encourage each other. I was encouraged. Lee Douthat and Christy Trius recently started a care, care ministry in our church. And they met with me a couple weeks ago about it and uh, kind of launched it. And uh, I, you know, honestly, I left one, one of the meetings going, I don't know who's going to sign up. I, I, hope, I hope people sign up. <laughs> I, I think it's important. And I think after the first Sunday of putting a sign up, 
the whole front page was filled with names of people signing up to care for someone else in the church. All of you have baggage, have struggles, have things that come up. It's our job as the church to, work, to, to carry those together. Which means it's your job to come forward, to let people know that you do need something, you do need prayer, and to be there for your brother and sister as well. Great things are to come, church, when we unite together in the name of Christ.